Hello everyone and welcome to Not Knowing About Poetry, where we entertain ourselves by talking in detail about poetry without really making any claims to know anything about it. I'm Joel Swan speaking to you from Manchester and today I'm lucky to be joined by writer and musician Leo Cookman, who is smiling up at us from Whitstable in Kent. Hello, good to speak to you. Okay, thanks Leo, good to see you. Uh, so today we're still working on this question uh, about what do mo modern poets get from Renaissance texts. And Leo's agreed to come and talk to me about a very famous sonnet by William Shakespeare, uh, of course, who lived from 1564 to 1616, and one response to it by Richard Scott, who was born in 1981, and whose uh, recent collection, Soho, published by Faber and Faber, has been uh, widely acclaimed uh, in, with prizes and, and reviews. People really, really like it. Um, so one question that Scott engages with, as has, as has many writers and readers of queer poetry, is the complex issue of literary and cultural tradition. How can people talk about the origins and history of the expression and practice of homosexuality when it has been the work of many generations to deny and violently erase any trace of that history? In Soho, Scott engages boldly with writers unequivocally gay and queer in their identity and writing, such as Walt Whitman, Cavafy, Verlaine and Rimbaud, but also briefly considers the gay subtexts of Shakespeare's poetry, which is what makes him so relevant for our discussion today. He has warned, uh, that's Richard Scott has warned, of the risk of Shakespeare's young man of the sonnets being unqueered at the behest of society and perhaps even Shakespeare himself and certainly demonstrates some awareness of early modern poetry in interviews. So uh, I strongly suspect that as much as we've got to say today, and we've got plenty to say, there will be more to say about Richard Scott and his relation to early modern poetry and poetry of all times. He's a really, really interesting guy. So today, let's start by looking at Shakespeare's Sonnet 20, first printed among the 128 of Shakespeare's sonnets in 1609. Is that right, Leo? 128? Or have I, have I got that wrong? That's, no, that sounds about right. Um, okay. I mean, there's, there are, I think there's 154 total, but like the initial print was, I think, 128. No, no, it's all, I think we've, I think we've got it wrong. I think it's, sorry, it's, uh, there's 153 in my copy. 154. I think 128 is just the first part with the the uh, the youth or the young man. Yes, um, right, yeah. And then okay, the... no, it's, it's 127 is when it changes to the black lady. All right, sorry, listeners, there's 154, <laughs> um, but there's a smaller sequence within that. The so, key point being that we don't know as much about okay. poetry. Then. <laughs> I mean, I really tried. Um, so Sonnet 20 uh, is so well known that I'm actually quite worried about trying to say anything about it. Uh, I, I kind of wanted to exclude Shakespeare from this podcast, but uh, actually it turns out Scott's reading is so interesting that I think it's worth giving it a little go and really giving it some time. So with Shakespeare's Sonnet, number 20, we do need to keep in mind a little bit of the long-term history of responses to it. After all, one reader from the 19th century described that sonnet as a truly disagreeable enigma and said, if I have caught any glimpse of the real meaning, I could heartily wish that Shakespeare had never written it. That was uh, someone called Lester Richardson, who I, who I don't know anything else about except that wow. quotation. Written, uh, of course, several hundred years before the advent of the fixed and sternly categorised 
cat uh, divisions of uh, gender and sexuality we have today, uh, to readers of the late 20th century, it has offered remarkable opportunities for diverse gay and queer interpretations. So I'm going to give the poem a bit of a read. Uh, then we will work through it and see what we think about this poem before getting on to Richard Scott. All right, sonnet number 20. A woman's face with nature's own hand painted hast thou, the master mistress of my passion. A woman's gentle heart, but not acquainted with shifting change as is false woman's fashion. An eye more bright than theirs, less false in rolling, gilding the object whereupon it gazeth. A man in hue, all hues in his controlling, which steals men's eyes and woman's souls amazeth. And for a woman wert thou first created, till nature as she wrought thee fell a doting, and by addition me of thee defeated, and adding one thing to my purpose nothing. But since she pricked thee out for woman's pleasure, mine be thy love, and thy love's use their treasure. All right, so I think we've both been spending a bit of time really looking at this in detail. It's just nice to be reminded of the whole, the whole sonnet, isn't it? Um, but let's, let's just get started. What do you think is going on at the very beginning there, Leo? What's that statement in the first couple of lines? Well, it's, it, it's the comparison to um, the... Because it's, it's in context of the whole thing, it's so, it's so delightfully odd in that he's just he's saying you would be better a you were clearly designed as a woman and so he's a woman's face with nature's own hand painted so he was designed as if a woman at birth by nature or, or whatever and that and so therefore that uh, this young man um there is a uh, the mist would be a mistress of his passion quote unquote uh but even but that's the thing is it's it's the the whole thing doesn't seem to be particularly um uh doesn't dislike the idea of being attracted to or passionate about this young man who is so attractive with a woman's face that you know it goes to great lengths to point out it's uh he does look like a woman, which I mean, would make it more interesting what I find quite interesting that i mean even that saying that first line like i think you you glossed the phrase nature's own hand painted by saying designed, which, you know, is mm. perfectly, perfectly reasonable. Well, yeah. um, but like it, to say nature's own hand painted, I feel like that's a funny statement because if we're talking about, uh, you know, an essential being, the core of your identity that nature gave to you, mm. that seems to me like quite, is that different than how we would talk about like, being painted because that seems you know in the realm of our artificiality human manufacture do you think there's something in putting those it been shakespeare putting those two things together so to, for nature's own hand to paint you um does that give is there a way of explaining that that's not just design um but i, I, I i'm not sure that's why i'm asking you what, what is um, I, i'm not too sure of the context either but of the um of the word itself, but was did nature have the same sort of double meaning back then? So your nature and nature of, of the world and trees and things, because that would explain a lot. That's that that's an, that actually that's an interesting point, Leah. So I think nature wouldn't have the meaning of like 
trees um but it would it, or, or would it it's it, it's sort of a big word and i think yeah uh, there's there's an idea of a natural order so like the the example that just comes to my mind is like in in macbeth uh, when Macbeth talks about Duncan's yeah. murder as being um, a breach in nature, in nature for ruin's wasteful entrance. Mm. So in, in that case, uh, nature represents some kind of ordered uh, yeah. existence and, and, and the murder sort of spoils all that. So it, it, it's, it's, I think it's a richer word than we've got now. Yeah. I think certainly suggestive of, of, of your nature, your, you know, the, the, your, your character. Mm. Um, but it's certainly suggestive of a kind of a wider world as well. Um, so, so what would be the difference if, if, if we sort of if we if we divide that up into like one is nature is one individual thing, or it's kind of a environmental thing. Let's keep it simple in those two things. How would that change that line if you went for like an individual reading of nature versus uh, an environmental or contextual reading of nature? Does that make sense? Yeah, so, it's uh, and I think that makes it more profoundly because if you just say as in a natural order a woman's faith with nature's own hand painted you've then you've as i said it's uh nature's taken the time to paint you as it were as opposed to produce you or something or you know has created you whereas mm. if it's your own nature or is it, it's an internal part um has that have you created that have you affected that have you um continued to propagate the like if you were considered to be a pretty young boy or something is it in your nature to therefore be uh, considered which brings to you know to mind an awful lot of discussions of trans uh uh debate and so on and so forth that debate but you know the that that context yeah yeah i mean i think i, I think you, you used the word debate but you didn't you didn't mean that no no <laughs> yeah I, I, yeah i i think yeah, I mean, it, it just raises a question that, like, we, we don't necessarily need to resolve, but it's like no. either, you know, the, the, the way you conduct yourself, the way you look, um, could that come from uh, a completely natural harmony with the world? Or it's the way you are, you know, it's the way your heart is, the way your feelings are, and you've made yourself look like that. Um, mm. uh, yeah, I'm not sure we could quite tease out all those implications right now because I can't no. see what they are. But that's, I think that's an interesting thing to, to get a hold of. But also, mm. I'm, I'm also interested in that base. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I, 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 this is, and maybe this is why I hate Shakespeare's because like you just can't get past the first word. Um, <laughs> we're, you know, obviously we assume that's appearance. Mm. Is it appearance? Yeah, because he, why did he talk about clock? faces or things like that no not clock faces obviously in the but the the face of a uh like facade as it were okay yeah so um which again plays into the idea of nature and, and that uh someone's nature a facade and being someone's nature or something like that okay but that's that's an interesting layer to bring up that facade that, that must be the same Face and facade must be the same. Yeah, I think they have the same roots. Yeah, um, I have to check that, but but that sounds likely. Like, but that's really interesting. That like on the because again on the one hand, face, you know, that's what you've got. You can't, you know, you can grow mm. a lovely beard, um, <laughs> like like you have Leo, um, or, or you can shave it all off. Or you can do your eyebrows. Um, you can put, you, you can make a few adjustments, but actually, face is quite a natural thing. Whereas facade, 
you know that's yes. like a, a pretense that's an act that's a mask yeah. putting on um and maybe and that interests me because of the words painted that yeah know, has has, has rouge yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and I mean, you know, in this period of poetry, there's a lot of negative associations with of, of makeup, uh, and, and sorry, and painting would be a word for for makeup. As yeah. Well. Actually, um, well, Shakespeare's one of Shakespeare's insults is a painted maypole, isn't it? Okay, painted maypole. Thou um, painted maypole, or whatever it is. Yeah, from 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 midst of a night's dream. Night's dream. Yeah. I can I can never think of maypole in the same way since reading um, <laughs> memoirs, memoirs of a woman of pleasure. But that's another that's another um, <laughs> for another time. Um, okay, but I think you know, fun. If we 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 got to move on because we could be mm. here all day. <laughs> but the, the the first line isn't deciding whether that that uh, femininity of this youth uh, is is an internal thing or an external thing, it, mm. or if it's an emotional thing or, or, or purely physical thing, or if it's just a pretense that they've put on. It hasn't decided on all of those things. Mm. But with a word like face, I think that's really loaded. With a, with a word like mm. uh, nature, it's really, really loaded with importance. And that's maybe what we need to take away from it with all its ambiguity. Um, and okay, so the master mistress of my passion, um, a woman's gentle heart, yeah. not acquainted with shifting change, as is false women's passion, fashion rather. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so, what do you think about that one? Again, it's a slight uh, latent misogyny going on <laughs> within yeah, yeah. the uh, the sort of you know what women are like, car, eh? always changing their minds that sort of <laughs> yeah yeah i mean and that's uh, unlike sort of the, the the changeability of women yeah um, you know i think that's probably you know we don't need to go to the history books to recognize that no, as, quite. A, <laughs> as a misogynistic trope um i guess it's a it's a it's i feel it's a difficult one because like yeah it, at its core is misogyny mm. of those two yeah. lines um but in two, for me, I feel like, is it, is it, okay, is it saying on the one hand, you've got a woman's gentle heart. However, even better than a woman's heart, it's not changeable. Yes. Or is it saying you've got a woman's heart, but you've, you're so inexperienced in love you've never encountered you've never had a romantic relationship with a woman hmm uh, yeah i hadn't considered the acquainted that's an interesting yeah one. yeah sees that yeah that seems not acquainted with the shifting change as is false women's fashion so is he not acquainted with women at all yes i suppose that's right so so that would fit in with a kind of yeah yeah this virginal uh, this virginal youth, this virginal lovely boy. Um, right, okay, but uh, one way or another, you've got a woman's gentle heart. Let's just stick with yes. that and move on. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, and I'm more bright than theirs, less false in rolling, gilding the object whereupon it gazeth. This one's a, a it's, I mean, it's a lovely line, if nothing else. It's so well written. But the, it's a, 
Yeah, it's a convoluted one, I feel like. An eye more bright than theirs, less false in rolling. It's just it's like the idea of, you know, what women, again, you know what women are like, you're always rolling their eyes at you. And that kind of, but, but he's still comparing like, this is the, the, you have the thing that women have, but somehow it's better. So whether, you know, you have a gentle heart, but it's not as changeable. You have a beautiful eye, but it doesn't, it's not always rolling at you for leaving a mess in the kitchen or whatever. So, and I say, okay. So I think that what, what, uh, what I've got from rolling in my copy is, is rolling would be looking at other lovers. Oh, okay. Um, so I, yeah, One I, I, context. Yeah. I, I, I think, but I think, you, you know, that, that I'd be interested to find out if that kind of, um, how could we describe that nagging eye rolling? Is that, yes. is that something that's current this time? I'm, I'm not sure, but like no. certainly it would mix, it would go well with the um, falseness, you know? So yes. I think that's, maybe that's the thing. So like, if you, if, if you're, if you're looking around, you're mm. deceitful, you're, yes. you're rolling. <laughs> it is a weird, actually, it's, it's a word, word, weird word. If you're describing looking rolling. Yeah. Your eyes do roll, I suppose, like as in, but it, it, it was also something, I know it was back then, a, a, if you rolled your eyes, it was, you were unwell, wasn't it? Like speaking in tongues or something like Maybe. that. You, yeah. Uh, your eyes rolled back. I mean, and also it's, you know, it's, it, it's kind of a bawdy word, isn't it? Like, well, yes. Um, <laughs> you know, you Ballers be rolling, you know. <laughs> um, again, I, I, you know, I'd have to check my dictionaries, but... Uh, there's something bawdy about it. Now, what in those in that in that two lines though? Uh, so that second one, gilding the object whereupon it gazeth. I mm. now I find that interesting because uh, so we're talking about the eye, and now is it saying? Okay, is it saying on the one hand your eye is better than women's because everything you look at you make more beautiful by looking at it. You know, so you're so beautiful. If you look at something, it becomes more beautiful. You, you, that's how good your, your, your vision is. Obviously it's a fantasy, but, but whatever. Or on the other hand, is it saying your eye is more bright than most women's eyes? Mm. Um, it's not false. And it doesn't give some false appearance of, uh, you know, beauty to to any old object it looks at looks at hmm. so that word gilding yeah. um you know i think my, my notes here are saying oh gilding's not usually a positive word but well i don't know it, it could be positive you know you make things better or you give them that facade you know hmm. it, this false rolling eye looking around and all these other blokes saying oh you're lovely you're lovely you're lovely well it's, not, it's that thing of um what to be loved is to you know, to be divine or whatever. It's that thing of if you love improves, love is self-regarding as it were. So if you, um, if you are loved by someone that does that gild it, does that improve it in some fashion? So right. it's, if something is so lovely that something is so lovely and it loves you or looks upon you, then that, that gilds it, I suppose. But like you say, I don't know whether yeah. it was a positive or a negative because what's the gilding the lily or whatever it is. And is okay, and, and does it, and does the gilding go back to his eye or yeah. their eye? Um, mm. And why, why are we presented with that ambiguity? Um, 
yeah it's a, it's such a strange couple of lines but it's it and i'm more bright than theirs less false in rolling i mean it seems i mean it seems like it's, i mean guess what the oddity is here is that that i think that that, that misogyny is so clear yeah but then sort of and 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 with that misogyny comes a clear sort of um you know gender division a very straightforward yeah. vision of male and female but the ambiguities are about not being sure about this mm. one person so it's 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 a funny one for, for thinking about queerness because it's it's maybe not a queer poem because it's hanging on to those really really clear yeah um uh, strict divisions in in what are seen as sex or gender is oh yeah, you know the, the, the divisions of desire you know the different versions of desire it's sort of sticking mm. to quite 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 firmly even while finding it yeah. ambiguous in one case De yeah deliberately complicating it yeah um but it's not forsaking those those, those, those divisions mm. okay but but moving on a man in hue all hues in his controlling which steals men's eyes and women's souls amazeth. Man in hue, well, that, it implies that men, it, it's men who are in control of their hues, as it were. I mean, I, I assume hue is still the same as it is now, as in colours and, um, you know, colours and what it's like, saturation, I suppose. Yeah, I, think, I, th I, th I think sort of, um, but it can be more general as like sort of the, the appearance or the shape. Right, yeah. But, but yeah, I think if you were thinking of, 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 of hue as colour, that would, that would be fine. And he's, so men, all men, a man implying all men in hues is controlling. So he can control how he looks, which is, I, does that go back to the first line about, you know, your own nature painting it or? You know what, I... Yeah. I I was really confused by this line, but that gives us one um, straightforward and decent reading of it, that uh, that's about self-control, all hues yeah. and controlling. And maybe, okay, because the, the way I'd read that first, what was confusing was like all hues, all the different people's emotions right, yeah. you see, mm. all the different um, appearances, all the different uh, shapes of people, um, somehow they are in... Uh, under his control, um, so it's a hue that controls hues. I see, but I don't. Oh, yeah. But no, but I, I think, but there's that, that hint of self-control as well, which would be important to oppose to that. Um, yeah, the, the, the female changeability. On the one hand, uh, you know, a woman's shifting heart. On the other hand, all hues in his controlling. You know, he knows what yes. he's doing, um, and then which steals men's eyes and women's souls amazeth. Um, so, so he's, a, yeah, he's still ahead. able to, well, he, he's still able to attract, uh, due to his woman's face, um, it's, can steal man's eyes, but with all of the good things of being a bloke after all, you know, he's not a shifting change, etc., etc. that woman's souls amazeth, yeah. along with that. Okay, so it's like, yeah, so this is like, this is sort of a return to masculinity, isn't it? That like, mm. um, you know, which steals men's eyes, you know, even though we're obviously inclined in this poem to think about that as uh, physical attraction and uh, sexual attraction, um, there, there's something in that about, um, you know, you're such a man, you make all men think you're really, really 
great and they want to look at you and admire your manliness while women are totally enraptured by it but um with that okay but with that idea of his his hue controlling all other hues then like that i don't know i i of course those those men's eyes are sexualized of course yeah are, um, but it's, it was still ugly looking him yeah i was still s-t-e-a-l i assume that's yeah. that's um that's the how he wrote it i don't know but is that i don't know if that had a different because this is a trouble is when using language that is actually quite old <laughs> and very contextual for its time I don't know, because he used to talk about it, steel yourself against, although he'd use three E's in that, wouldn't it? It'd be S-T-E-E-L-E, would it be? But, uh, the the orthography, think... you know what? The orthography isn't a big deal. Yeah. Um, uh, you know, who knows? We'd have to go back, you know, we, we, could, we, could, look at, we could easily get a look at the, uh, the first printing. Um, but, you know, clearly stealing. those things are really, really different. So, so you think steal men's eyes it could be not taking them but yeah. making them stronger making them harder yeah, exactly. making them more resilient. No, just a, yeah just or stealing them against some at some sort of desire you know like it, it would you right. a man yeah in it a man in his controlling would it steal them would it make them as you say like strengthen them against um a young boy who was so pure, right. pretty or something. Interesting. So on, on the one hand, it, I, I quite like the idea that um, on the one hand, it, it stops men desiring, but on yeah. the other hand, it makes women amazed. Yeah. Um, I, yeah. And okay. So that's, and that's, and, and so that's a funny line because it does feel like it's pushing us back to um, heterosexuality yes. as a preferential <laughs> Uh, model and, and unless I'm reading it wrong and I think you know that, that no I think it does I think you're right um, but oh, I, I, as text but I don't know I think I think it's it's easy not to hear everything that's going on uh, so I I wouldn't want to be final on that but let's let's carry on because we've got we've got a few just a few more minutes to get to the end and we're only halfway through um, so um, and for a woman yeah. what that first created and I'll tell you what, let's read on a little bit further. Let's do more than a couplet. Uh, for a woman were thou first created, till nature as she wrought thee fell a doting, and by addition me of thee defeated, by adding one thing to my purpose, nothing. I think that goes back to what our discussion of nature, because it's a till nature as she wrought thee. So it, does that nail it in the coffin that it's definitely some sort of order some some natural order because it's a she he's personifying it as she till nature as she she wrought the fellow doting yeah yeah and I he, agree and he was clearly um the young man was clearly for a woman what thou first created so as a he was still uh, in the womb which is a, i mean weirdly is a true fact isn't it we're all women in the womb right. we're uh bef it's we only become men when there's a specific chromosome inserted yeah. during pregnancy okay so for okay so for a woman okay so one you were initially created as a woman two mm. you were created in a woman you were created in a woman's yeah. womb three 
you were created to have sex with women. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, very staunch heterosexuality going on. Well, but there's three, there's, there's, there's three possibilities or, or, yeah. or four, you know, we're not talking about birth at all, but you know, you, you, you were created all, in all kinds of beautiful womanly ways. Mm. Okay. But okay. But I like, I like that word wrought. I don't think we want to talk about it now, but I like this idea. And I also like this idea of a change. You know, you were made in this one way until nature mm. went a bit, uh, a bit crazy, went a doting. Uh, and, you know, doting carries some of the meaning we'd have now of, of, you know, being too fond, too affectionate, too blindly caring for something. Mm. Uh, and by addition, me of these defeated by adding one thing to my purpose. Nothing. What's that one thing, Leo? Probably a penis. And the thing is, like, I think um, we've talked about, there's been a lot of criticism around this poem specifically about how does it or does it not clarify heterosexuality or you know is it proof thereof that he's that he's declaring his heterosexuality and i just think in context of the whole thing that people might say oh well that's not what the line means but in context of the whole thing it's not you know by adding one thing to my purpose nothing i just feel like that's far too clear a declarative state especially in comparison to the the couplet at the end well, and, and okay, so that, and that one, and I think what we'll see in the couplet is like, as with nature, like we started off with a very open concept of nature, which is later maybe clarified a bit. I yeah. think that one thing, which is obviously most likely the penis, is, mm. I think it's then clarified in the couplet. But that yeah. line, adding one thing to my purpose, nothing. Yet that sounds, on the one hand, like, well, I can't use, I can't use a penis, I can't fat to this. <laughs> um, but... Uh, Alan Sinfield has, right, has raised the possibility that they're both tops, uh, that uh, the speaker can't use the penis because <laughs> that's not what he's interested in. That's not what he mm. wants to do anything with. Um, nothing could be vagina. So, you know, yeah. your pe- I have the, the, the libidinous urge towards your penis in the same way heterosexual men would have a, a libidinous urge towards vaginas mm. um however 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 definite that statement seems to be you know mm. nothing coming at the end of the line um you know matching up with a lot of these feminine um you know that's the convention of describing them rhymes of, of rolling controlling doting nothing um you know it seems a very definite statement mm. but as soon as you start prodding it, it, it really is <laughs> definite. Let's get onto this couplet because we need to, because we, we absolutely need to get onto this. We're running over a little bit on time on this one, but it's okay because this couplet's a really important bit for reading Richard Scott. Uh, do you want to read that out for us? Yeah, but, but since she pricked thee out for women's pleasure, mine be thy love and thy love's use their treasure. Okay, so pricked thee out. <laughs> nature nature gave gave you a prick yeah that's and i i don't think there's i mean it yes it's it's a corruption of or, or it's a different understanding of picked the out obviously but i don't think there's any even in you know 16 whatever it's <laughs> that's yeah. not a uh that is not a word you'd use. That is not innocent imagery yeah. you know and i mean it, it, it can just be you know selected you yeah to to give women pleasure to women 
Mm. Um, it could mean, according to my notes, it could mean like a sketch picking you out. So you go oh, back yes. to the kind of the... Uh, Stitching or something, I suppose, yeah. That, yeah, that would be interesting because that, that's, that's a very gendered activity. Mm. Um, you know, it goes back to painting. Um, and yeah, so is, is the woman's pleasure in, in looking at this, this person? Is the woman's pleasure in, um, you know, enjoying, enjoying him sexually? Uh, is uh, this a whimsy of nature? You know, is the woman actually nature here? She's been gendered feminine. Yes. Uh, oh, well, nature was having a laugh, so she gave <laughs> you a prick. Um, and she found that very, very funny. Uh, but you, 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 you've got a penis. And finally, mine be thy love and thy love's use, their treasure. Um, so what's, I think what I want to ask there, Leo, is like, what's the difference between thy love, thy love's use, what is treasure? I don't know. Can you, can you help us with any of that? I, well, it's not. The thing is, it's such a, again, like the whole of the poem, it's a linguistically really interesting, just word choice and stuff. But the, it's such an ambiguous and deliberately ambiguous certainly for the purposes of the uh, topic because it was you know the bear in mind the context and stuff you I, open homosexuality if you know probably didn't even exist as a word was it i mean probably wasn't oh, so yeah. to, to, to be like to have like a homosexual identity that's like late 19th century yeah yeah so it was that's not even a thing but still the idea of i i you know homosexuality is not or, or even the concept of homosexuality is not what it once was. So mm. the thinly veiledness of it is part of its charm. But mine be thy love and thy love's use their treasure. So what is my, my love be thy love, I suppose. Mine be thy love and thy love's use. Or is it mine, mine love and thy love are both treasures? Or is it... Uh, are these both used as treasures? Um, yeah, I mean, it's a very difficult yeah, line. Like, I mean, it could be the difference between like just loving you with emotions and loving you sexually. Yeah. Um, but there's that love having a use, isn't it? Right, and I mean, yeah, and 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 that use would be what Leo? Yeah. <laughs> well, I'd be nooky, but the <laughs> that's okay. that's the thing. But and there's a, but there's maybe if, if that's the case, then maybe there's a jealousy there that you know, right, might yeah. be your love. Thy love's use their treasure. Um, I don't get the treasure. They get yes, the treasure. yeah. Um, you know, I just get thy love. I wish I could have its use as well. Um, mm. And you know, use. Yeah, that I think that's a bawdy word. But like um, combined with treasure, there's there's another discourse of kind of using money, of using um, the wealth yeah. you have, which which links to the the husbandry imagery in the, <laughs> the, the early sonnets. Yeah, that's kind of uh, using what your income and your wealth is mm. is really important. That's that's mapping, That's the metaphor I think that's being used to describe uh, love and sex. Yeah, uh, but it was all about time before this, wasn't it? And perpetuating yourself. The, the sonnets before this one are all about, you know, self-perpetuation and things yeah. like that. Look, Leah, I think we, I'd love to carry on talking about this, but we've kind of reached the end. We haven't, I mean, you know, we could say a lot more, but I've, that was, I mean, a really helpful discussion. But I mm. think we should 
just get straight onto Richard Scott now so that yeah. you don't, um, you know, deny him the really full reading that he deserves. So we are going to be looking at this poem, um, which was published in uh, Scott's 2018 collection called Soho. Uh, and it is called Public Library 1998. Uh, this is placed as the very first poem in that collection. And serving as a prologue for its major themes, the sonic gives a provocative introduction to a persistent desire to seek origins, backgrounds, and roots for gay lives. At the end of the collection, um, the Rich, Richard Scott's poem, Oh My Soho, asks the locale of London's Soho to show me our true lineage for this people robber of ancestors who was stolen hooded from us. I'm sorry, people robbed of ancestors. That's mis uh, a typo for me. So uh, gay people are a people robbed of ancestors. Um, he finds in Soho my homoland, of which he asks, may I call you my daddy? So that's him looking for origins, looking for backgrounds, looking for that lineage and, and creating it from, from materials he can find. With Public Library 1998, we've got a very different relationship to space, authority and sexuality. That's very different to Soho when we go into the library. I think we could do no better than getting straight on, having a read, having a talk about it. So do you want to read it out for us, Liam? Yeah. In the library, where there is not one gay poem, not even Kafafi, eyeing his grappa-sozzled lads, I open again the golden treasury of verse and write cock in the margin. Ink stains my fingers. Words stretched to diagrams, birth beards and thighs, shoulders, forgies. One biro boy rubs his hard on against the body of a sonnet. Another bears his hole beside some larkin. A blue sailor spooges over Canto 12. Then I see it, nestled like a mushroom in moss, tongue true and vaunt, a queer subtext, and my pen becomes an indigo highlighter, inking up what the editor could not, would not, the violet hour of these men hidden deep within verse. I underline those that nature, not the printer, had pricked out, rimming each delicate stanza in cerulean, illuminating the readers to come right so i think that's that's it's so nice to read that like after really reading shakespeare thoroughly yeah uh, and i'm looking forward to to getting right through it and maybe especially the the last bit which corresponds mm. so closely to shakespeare um but le let's start by just going through i don't know it, it, sort of a sentence at a time and then maybe we can go back and like talk about some bigger structural things because i think that's that's the key thing here yeah um so it starts out in the library. Uh, this is not a gay-friendly space, or it doesn't no. feel it doesn't it doesn't feel like one to start mm. with. Not one gay poem. Um, his response to that is this uh, comic, <laughs> comically destructive act of writing yeah. cock in the margin of the golden treasury of of, of verse. Um, and, I, and I don't know, Leah, do, you, do you know anything about Joe Wharton here? This is what springs to my mind. Is he a figure you've heard of? 
Uh, I've heard of him. I can't think where from. I, don't, um, I just know the name. Well, he, 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 him and his, his, his boyfriend, he's, he's an important dramatist from the 60s who had a tragically, yes. tragically short life. Um, there we go. I knew I their, studied him at drama. <laughs> one, of, one, of, one, of his, uh, one of their subversive um, queer acts was going into the library and defacing books in, in really comical ways. And they, they even went to trial. I think they went to prison for a short time for it. Oh, wow. Um, so there's this, there's this wonderful history of this, this kind of intervention. The, the books are really funny. It's worth looking up. Um, I don't know. Is there anything we want to sort of just say about that before moving on? Well, I mean, I didn't like you explained to me what the golden treasury of verse was, which was a, a text in and of itself, like a, a notable text in and of itself, which was a, a surprise to me. Yeah, yeah. So, so I mean, I, I feel like here it's probably being used as kind of um, an idea as as much as it is. Yes, a, an actual text. text. But like the Golden Treasury of Verse, that's a late nineteenth-century anthology uh, published by Polgrave. Um, maybe, maybe one of the first sort of modern poet, secular poetry anthologies. Mm. Maybe it, it, again, I say that in a modern way. There, there are other precedents. Um, uh, but you know, you'd see that as a very, very conventional statement yeah. of of late Victorian, uh, early twentieth century tastes. And I and kind then, of would like to know more about it. But I bet, I bet that was like a hallmark right through into the middle of the twentieth century. Mm. That would be my bet. Uh, I have to find out. Uh, and all so the more so, reason to write cock in the margin. Therefore, right, it's it's the sort of book. It 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 deserves it really. Um, <laughs> Okay, so but that's interesting because like the the space is there. Maybe that's yeah. the point. That however, uh, that however few gay poems there are, the space is there to 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 be gay. Yeah. Um, or to think about cock, which isn't quite the same thing. But uh, <laughs> okay, so moving on. So ink stains my fingers. I love but, that. That's one sentence as well. It's it's a deliberate. It's almost it's a cesura as almost. It's this sort of full stop. <laughs> right in the middle of one of the lines it's just this one sentence that says ink stains my fingers which immediately again it doesn't seem innocent to me as a as imagery no i mean i well okay i i really like that point that i, I mean what i what i was looking at here was that there's there's quite a lot of long sentences yeah but that's one that's like four, yeah. four lines four lines long um and i don't know yet you, you you've got all sorts of liquids that you can get over your your fingers. <laughs> um, what's I mean? Yeah. What's it, what's it suggest? What's it suggested to you there? Because I, I agree that there's a. I, I love that that sensuality, the that tactile quality. Um, what, what do you what do you think about that? Well, I, I think it's uh, having talked about. Um, I mean, like you say, that first well, it's a three line stanza, isn't it? The uh, runs into the next one that is is almost all set up. It's like, here is the space we are in. This is the, uh, you know, this is the context we're writing in. And then to use ink stains my fingers, which is just four words, tiny little sentence in the middle of these two longer sentences is a, as you say, it's a central imagery and it's very clear, but it's also, it's, it's a sudden, I, I don't know, change of tack, like change of gear, I suppose going, cause then it's, that could be read as imagery if it, but maybe not if it was on its own, but then it moves into the next sentence, which is 
all, all filthy imagery, like uh, unequivocally filthy imagery thereafter. Okay, well, and you know, we, we, we use that word filthy to talk about well, yes. things, but like that, that, that sense of staining or of being stained by um, mm-hmm. you know, what you're reading. I mean, it feels like in some ways we're, we're kind of a little bit back with Sonnet 20 and talking about, yeah. you know, nature's own hand painted. Yes, um, painting, yeah. It, it, it's, it's not the same. But we're in that we're in that sort of realm. So in, anyway, it stains my fingers. Uh, and okay, okay, yeah, fingers. It's fingers, not a face. So it's it's something that's reaching mm. out or or trying to touch rather yes. than just this beautiful appearance. You know, maybe that emphasis on kind of of of, 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 of practice rather than idealized beauty is, is yeah characteristic of Scott. Uh, so words. So next bit, words stretched to diagrams, birth beards and thighs. Shoulders, 4Gs. One biro boy rubs his hard on against the body of a sonnet, another's, another bears his hole beside some larkin. <laughs> so how does, how do, so those two sentences I've read there, so how does that lead on from ink stains my fingers, do you think? I think it just feels much more like the, the he's kind of, by writing cock in the margin, the ink has stained his fingers mm. and it's so that stains it from there the poem almost there on so there's he's uh emitted the ink as it were and that's therefore stained the rest of it as it continue like stains these poems almost as it continues on and uh, uh, with both drawings and what we find out later i suppose I, I, you know what i like the idea that sort of this um, this this kind of ejaculation-like covering of the fingers uh, yes. is just you know it's it, it, happening in the book. It just goes on and on. So mm. words stretch the diagram. So that act of writing of inscribing cock, uh, which is not you know he doesn't sort of say why he's doing that exactly, yeah. um, or what what led him to do that. Um, but by take by taking that bold decision to put a cock in the book, that's mm. sort of a slippery slope. Like I mean, I feel like the Daily Mail <laughs> argument, isn't it? You know, one minute <laughs> one minute you're writing a, writing the word cock in a book, the next you're it's a gateway you're, drug. That <laughs> you're, you're bearing your hole against some some larkin, and uh, but by mentioning larkin, like. Um, you know, that's one sign that maybe this isn't the the actual golden treasury of verse that he's, he's holding. <laughs> I, I I'm not au fait with the complete tradition of that book, but I don't think the standard golden treasury no would have Larkin in it. Would go as but late it, as Larkin. It's that it's that wonderful um, juxtaposition, isn't it? The um, a sonnet being a classical form, you know, and so a, a biro drawn boy rubbing his heart on against it, and then someone burying his hole against the notably like legendarily stilted and um dry (laughs) um repressed larkin and i mean i canto 12 i don't know is that virgil is that dante is that um ezra pound could be ezra pound yeah i'm 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 not sure i did i did look into a few cantos but couldn't quite identify that you know reading that over now i'm just also interested in the in the contrast between the bi- the biro boy who who rubs his hard on against the body of a sonnet but the other one who bears his hole um and i don't know maybe there's there's almost a suggestion i don't i don't want to to, to be tied down to this but like um 
it's almost a suggestion that sonnets are giving you more than Larkin. <laughs> but all you can do, all you can do next to Larkin is bear your whole. Uh, is bear your whole, which you know I'm sure is 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 pleasurable in some respects, but it's the sonnet where you can you can really yeah. you know approach ejaculation. Um, <laughs> you can really get to to a place where you're you're feeling a bit happy. Um, and it would be it would be really handy if we could identify Canto Twelve, a blue because mm. that a blue can a blue sailor spooges over Canto Twelve. I mean, I think of it as Ezra Pound. I do think of it as Ezra Pound, just purely because of who Ezra Pound was, i.e., you know, a somewhat fascistic. Um, <laughs> I was so yeah. I mean, so he is Ezra Pound, of course. You know, leading fascist poet of the early twentieth century. What was his? sexuality i actually don't know yeah i i, I don't know either but it, it's that kind of i it's if it's present in his poetry it's not uh particularly overt in the same way as perhaps we might be reading these other poems because it's that he well I, ju I just know from certain ones that poems he wrote outside of the cantos that it's very much more masculine like one of the po okay. poems starts just with the word war with an exclamation mark and it's that kind of always feels like oh you're compensating for something in some fashion right it, sure but okay yes. and, but, but but also there so i think it's, it's useful to differentiate the kind of the the poems and the responses hmm. um and we we haven't quite figured out why he'd spooge over counter 12 but <laughs> but, but maybe, maybe you've got something there maybe there's something in it if 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 pound does represent a sort of conventional masculinity you know maybe that's a that's a turn on maybe that's the big thing to to to, to spooge over um well, you know there's a possible you know great dark man um anyway but the, okay but there's a nice little structural progression there from rubbing a hard on bearing a hole and then coming interestingly uh, so sorry i literally just dragged my ezra pound off the, the court and by a genuine miracle, this was not planned. I opened it to Canto Twelve, <laughs> which any, was any quick, it, any any quick highlights you can see there. Well, it's just, the first line is who who will be the next man to entrust his girl to a friend? Love interferes with fidelities, so it couldn't be more straight heterosexual within the first lines of um, of those of Canto Twelve and. Yeah, lines such, could you endure such promiscuity? Um, she was not renowned for fidelity. So it's very, very clearly, like as I suspected, was very, uh, very overtly heterosexual almost, um, discussing women's uh, fidelity apparently in pretty clear terms and promiscuity. Um, well, that is, which, that is really helpful. You know what, I've realised that like the, the Canto 12 actually isn't in the selected pound. That's, and I can't find it online. So that's ah. why I didn't read it. Okay, that's, that, that, is, that is really interesting. Um, so to clarify, yes, they, uh, as someone spooging over the a poem, a blue sailor <laughs> spooging over a poem yeah. about women not being fid uh, fidelitous enough. <laughs> yeah, sure. Okay, great, and so so, and I'm just loving how those these kinds of acts are just so tied to 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 poetry. I think that's really really interesting. It must be an unusual thing. Like mm. I don't recognise that from elsewhere, but but maybe maybe someone else does it. Uh, so moving on, though, we got we got to move on. So we've got our blue sailor spooting. Uh, then I see it. 
nestled like a mushroom in moss, tongue true and warmth, a queer subtext, and my pen becomes an indico highlighter, inking up what the editor would not, could not, the violet hour of these men hidden deep within verse. So what's changed now? It's, well, I, I, it's fascinating to, well, it's, it's a recontextualizing or it's discovering because those ones of, you know, the, the examples he's giving before this of Larkin and probably Pound and um, a sonnet from certain, there's, in those, I don't think there's much ambiguity. Again, Larkin notably repressed. Again, Ezra being very heterosexual. Um, the, the then suddenly being able to go probably back further. I think is what he's implying is by going back to before this certain um, societal needs to repress homosexuality. Um, were instigated in quite such a violent fashion, then you're suddenly discovering actually, suddenly there's this wealth of text and language. And that, okay, and that's interesting, because I think maybe what we need to point out as well for sort of the footnotes is uh, in, in the book, uh, so he says, nestled like a mushroom in moss, um, <laughs> you know, nice bit of bell end imagery there, um, <laughs> tongue true and vaunt, a queer subtext. And in the book, tongue true, and Vaughan, those are both italicized, and I'm pretty sure those would be referring back to Shakespeare's sonnets. Yeah. Um, those would really make sense in, in the context of, uh, I think, sonnets 15 and 17, which we, which we did talk about before this podcast, but we, we, we just chose not to, to focus on. So I think that's, that's really useful, that it's not when, you know, if you look at Pound, if you look at Larkin, you're not gonna get any of the fun, but, well, sorry, they, he has got something, <laughs> but if, if, if you really want to look for a tradition that you identify with, the yeah. queer subtext, those other books, those other poems don't have the queer subtext. They might give you a sexual thrill, they might give you a pleasure, but they don't maybe authorize the, the, the queerness in, 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 a, um, in a way that Shakespeare does. Even yeah, though, even they resist that interpretation, whereas Shakespeare absolutely doesn't. Right, or wasn't aware that he had to. Yeah. <laughs> um, great. Yeah, I, I like that idea. So, so going backwards, um, and somehow, so we got a couple of these sort of chain, you know, these clearly transition phrases like "then I see it" and "my pen becomes." Um, mm. And I, I, I don't know. When, when I was reading this just before, I kind of just picked up on that phrase. My pen becomes an indigo highlighter, and like for some reason, that feels to me like a very loaded phrase. But like it, it also isn't. Like that. Hmm. Why is that so? Why do I find that so potent? Like this idea of just scribbling with a with a, with a cheap biro, uh, becoming like a slightly less cheap pen. You know, a yellow highlighter um, or an indigo highlighter in this case. Well, I think we, he's made it, he's deliberately not confused it, but he's um, complicated it by the ink stains my fingers part, you know. So he's obviously referring to he's put the pen down and picked up an indigo highlighter as opposed to a blue biro. Um, wait, 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 no, but, but like the, my pen becomes, it's like, it's like a blue pen that he uses as a highlighter because you don't, oh, get, okay. you don't get indigo highlighters. Oh, I see. Oh, I, I misread that. And I, I thought it was just that he switched pens, but uh, yeah, I think the idea of it. So does that, uh, yeah, I, I, I reinterpret because I just think going back to ink stains my fingers, like what, 
what's yeah. the, the imagery has made the pen very clearly not just a pen yeah. like however you want to read it but it's well, not okay but okay but maybe may, maybe i just need to let that go because i'm not i'm not sure that is important but as I, <laughs> so some for some reason i think it is i think it's maybe that word becomes just seems mm. quite striking but maybe maybe misleading um but I like, okay, but that maybe the important thing there is, as you say, the ink comes back, inking up what the editor could not, would not. Mm. So if the, the ink staining my fingers, there's something masturbatory about that, right? Not necessarily, yeah. but, but maybe. Um, it feels like once, we, once we're getting into these texts now and he's really finding a point of, of identification in some way, that's the big change that's happening from intruding and writing cock and 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 drawing these these diagrams and figures of four g's or, or whatever mm. um now he doesn't need to to write things to draw things because um they're already there yeah they're, they're already there you know the practices are already there the tongue true and vaunt um which which we did we did think about but i can't really remember what i want to say about those <laughs> um so never mind uh that's the sort of shift that's happened. These these men hidden deep within verse. Mm. Again, obviously, pretty pretty sexual image to be hidden deep within verse. Um, <laughs> that's interesting. Or well, these men, these gay men, these yeah. particular type of men, um, they they're there but hidden. He's found them. Mm. God, this just, is really, I'm just amazed by this. It's so good. It's a great poem. It really is. And he's and just like the use again he the violet hour phrase is italicized as well, so. Oh yeah, I was, I was deliberately avoiding that because again I couldn't quite find a source for that, um, but like weirdly that phrase does come up in the wasteland. Um, oh. Also, there's a group in the eighties called uh, the, the Violet the Violet Quill, um, the group of gay writers. Um, I was I was deliberately keeping quiet on that because i don't oh, know right. what to do with it well no neither right it's, it's just i know that the you know violet is historically considered certainly in in literature and things is considered a, a queer or, or gay uh inference kind of like if to refer to carnations or something reincarnations and things like that there's uh, there is a history of that um and there's an incredibly homophobic um, understanding of the word lavender in history, certainly in um, uh, early 20th century. It was always, that was a euphemism for uh, being camp, was to say, if you said something in a lavender tone, that was um, a way of uh, describing it. It's, it's, he said that in a bit of a lavender way was a, rather homophobic way of describing someone being camp essentially so these it's a odd tradition of these lighter colors perhaps or pa yeah. pastel colors so so it fits but it looks like a quotation and it, it, it right. might be early and i might just have to think a bit more about it mm. um but let's move on to those last sort of two and a half lines mm. um and before do maybe just mention that editor i i like that he's got all these different um kind of critical agents involved it's not just yes. about writers <laughs> it's about editors as well yeah. and um printers we'll get, that, we'll get that well we'll get that more in the last two and a half lines do you want to read those out for us i underline i underline those that nature not the printer had pricked out rimming each delicate stanza in cerulean illuminating the readers to come so i want to ask 
what okay so we've got our pricked out we've got our pricked out again. <laughs> we've got our pricked out you know which is italicized a, yeah it is italicized being given a penis we're back to sonnet 20 what's the difference between what would be the difference between nature pricking out and the printer pricking out well i think that's it is that that nate certainly scott's implication is that nature is that uh, nature is much more accepting and much more willing to confuse these um supposedly strict boundaries between gender and sexuality and things that uh that the printer and therefore the wider publishing sphere of that represented in the golden treasury of verse or whoever um would pick out would decide to include so nature is will include a great deal of variance and uh, nuance that the printer has not hence why he's drawing cock in margins and things like that well, i mean yeah and i mean maybe it's the sort of that nature sees in in nature is able to see in heterosexuality you know the the queerness nature is right. able to see that you can't really have heterosexuality or love between men and women without having uh, love between people of the same the same sex and mm. physical, physical love at that. Um, but you, yeah, maybe it's, it's you know it's nature's job to to put these things there, yeah. <laughs> and the printer's and the printer's job to, to take them away, or the printer's mm. job to to say these aren't there. Um, mm. And I mean, I, I, it makes me feel, I, I, did, I did look up as to whether pricked out is a, is a printing phrase as well. I don't think it actually is. It, I might mm. need to do a bit more research on that. Um, but yeah, I think that that, that, would, that, would, that would do, wouldn't it? That if we've got our sort of Shakespeare opened at the same time, yeah. that um, nature, I don't know. In, as she wrote thee. Yeah, so in, 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 in Scott's poem, nature pricking you out in in, in shakespeare's poem nature pricked thee out mm. um and we discussed maybe that could be so that you could give women pleasure or yeah. nature just fancied having a laugh or um she you, you know she was um so she selected you to be yeah. so beautiful um i feel like we've got all, we've we've got a similar range of meetings meanings in, yeah. in that phrase here that prick you know we've, we've got this uh delicately highlighting highlighting underlining little bits and pieces here and there underlining that's a bit like pricking out that's a bit like selecting yeah yeah something. you're pulling it from the hole yes right yeah um so it's it seems like nature's doing the selecting nature's giving you the the queerness nature's giving you the cocks nature gives you that cock in the first place you know so that <laughs> that cock that we've got at the margin at the top um yeah. and right cock in the margin that's an example of maybe pricking out the, yeah. the, the book um, literally pricked out <laughs> literally pricked out a pricked out copy of the golden treasury um okay so that's a i think that's a, a really interesting comparison nature and the printer had pricked out um but we want to we want to say something about this last half, line and a half, don't we? Mm. Rimming each delicate stanza in cerulean, illuminating the readers to come. And and cerulean is just sky blue, isn't it? Yeah, quite a, quite a poetic word for, yeah. for for sky blue. Um, what what do you think about those those sorts of statements? There we've got a lot, we've got a few bawdy and maybe not 
not very subtle yeah. uh, euphemisms there. Um, yeah. You want to pick those out for us, Leo? Do you but I, th- I think <laughs> I'll prick those out. But the the uh, that's what I think is fascinating is it's there are not again they're not uh, to talk about rimming and readers to come, which is you know hyphenated readers to come as as one phrase. Um, so he's not being subtle about that you know what he's referring to or the that specific imagery and yet i still feel as as he even even says rimming each delicate stanza in cerulean he's not it's ch- the the dialogue has changed from the the opening he's still using the same bawdy imagery but it's still but now it's contextualized within cerulean and it's talking about illumination and it's I don't know, There's he's deliberately softened the language around the the imagery. So it's become this, uh, and almost is sort of using a similar language to uh, Shakespeare himself, or, or what you would consider the grand high poetry of, of a classic poet in that regard. Yeah. I mean, I think what, what maybe something we've discussed before is just the, the the sort of the delicacy you know that word delicate is there um which is a kind of a a a difference between like the 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 octave and the sestet in this poem that sort of the first part you've got the stuff about uh rubbing his hard on against the sonnet or bearing his whole but in this very final part the place that sort of the sonnet's taken us to is gently drawing a circle around phrases uh, Mm. Or, or rimming those <laughs> phrases uh, to help people to to participate in this community yeah. of queer of queer readers, um, and uh, maybe just with, with with the act of rimming. I mean, maybe what I'm sort of wondering about with Richard Scott as well. Like he has got poems, um, you know, throughout Soho about kind of being submissive. So there's a there's a poem about about butt plugs, um, where he talks about how how pleased he was to get this butt plug i think that's what it's about um but rimming you know it doesn't necessarily define that role it it does define a kind yeah. of um y- you know a very intimate act <laughs> you'd hope you know an intimate and trusting act but doesn't necessarily define it as 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 the work of a top or a bottom so at this moment it it isn't obvious like what kind of um you know, gay sexuality he wants to actually achieve, but mm. uh, rimming yet yeah, would be would be part of it, even if he's not sure what kind of identity he wants to to take on. Um, but you know, yeah, that 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 pun on rimming is so funny because like yeah. <laughs> it's so delicate and it seems so authentic to mm. talk about. You know, finally I found these little bits of Shakespeare that really helped me make sense of my desires. Mm. Um, but it's also you know, bold um, sexual move in exactly the same ways. In exactly the same way as Shakespeare would have, and that's the thing is, that I think there's so many comparisons between the structure of the whole thing, let alone, you know, the words themselves. Yeah. That really has a, a, it rhymes very well with that. I um, think that that that's that's interesting, isn't it? That like this when you look at when i first saw this poem i thought you know this is such a funny sonnet but it's, and it's we haven't mentioned that it is written as a yeah sonnet. yeah it is very funny um it's it, it it's it, it's very funny oh it's nothing like any other sonnets but i think you know you pointed out to me there is a clear 
sort of octave and sestet. Um, yeah. It isn't a rhyming poem, but no. um, that use of language is quite Shakespearean. You know, it's, yeah. it, 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 it's so provocative, but it's, it's so subtle at the same time. Um, you know, so completely bold. Um, but I think you couldn't really have a heterosexual sexual reading of this. You couldn't say, oh, no. what he's really after is a, a nice lady. Um, <laughs> yeah, whereas, what he needs. <laughs> whereas that's the sort of the opposite of, of Shakespeare. Now, we've had, a, we've had some good times on this. I think we've got to the end, we've talked about it. And maybe just for two or three minutes, so that we don't drone on to people, could we come back to that question of what... Uh, this modern poet Richard Scott gets from the Shakespearean Renaissance text. We've read them side by side, and I definitely feel that's an enriching experience for me. Mm. But yeah, definitely. What, what would you say he's he's getting out of Shakespeare that maybe he couldn't get anywhere else, or maybe he could get somewhere else, but he just happens to get it from Shakespeare? What is it that he's using that older text to do? I think there's a, what's a, a brilliant couple of selections and <clears throat> because he's, I mean, not only is he directly referencing it, because as we say, the, the, the italicized lines in the poem are more than the tongue true and vaunt and stuff and definitely pricked out are from uh, Shakespeare's sonnets, but <clears throat> it's not even just the language. It's he's the, I mean, it's a sonnet in its form anyway, the, the Richard Scott. Um, it's not a traditional sonnet, but the, this was what was fascinating about Shakespeare in his time was that the sonnet was not a sort of an old hound, but it was, it was a well-established form at that point. Yeah. And um, like a lot of what Shakespeare did, he took it to dizzying new heights with, you know, and that whole collection of what, 154 we said, is so rich and so and doesn't flag and it's you know there are better ones than there are some others but like as a concerted effort as a single output it's incredible and the form of the sonnet itself is so he really changes so one of my examples is that he um he uses the structure in a very clear way where he would say uh, the octave and the sestet and the couplet are very he uses the the volta and the turn in those Shakespeare does in those ways that are so um, he really gets the pressure up. So he, it all starts with a woman's face, so a woman's face, and then at the the uh, the volta is which steals men's eyes, and it's just literal words and ways he reforms things and reconstitutes mm. the the form. It's so brilliant as what Shakespeare did and I think Scott's doing exactly the same thing he's there are clear moments of pressure and turn so in the library where there is not one gay poem he will and then comes to what would be the Volta again around line eight is and I think it is even in line eight where he says then I see it so it starts with a you know this is the structure I'm going to go with and here's the turn um, and that's a direct conversation. I, I really do feel like these are, he's not, this isn't some accident that he's using the sonnet form so well in this yeah. poem. And equally, you know, being able to use, like I said, that's more sensitive wording at the end, which is what Shakespeare does so well in his couplets at the end. He really um, 
there's a, a sort of summing up with the couplet in all of his sonnets where or or you know a divergence or something but he always has that there's some sort of sensual or um perhaps softer or it disseminates the the topic in some yeah. sort of way and i think i mean maybe what I, I think that that is a really nice nice kind of account of the um technique you know the technical depth yeah. he has and i i think i'd really like to go through this collection a bit more and probably won't have time immediately but like uh you know he's got a whole set of poems um after Paul Verlaine, so oh. I wonder what the difference is if we if we if we looked into those and really looked into Verlaine's poetry, mm. would there be a similar sort of energy or, or technical prowess that comes through? Um, but equally, still re retaining his that Scott's own sort of well, the the genuine funniness, the genuine humour, and the genuine you know uh, openly gay you know yeah. unashamedly and which is again the the unashamed quote unquote being you know a direct uh, indirect contrast or indirect reference to shakespeare itself because that's it's clearly well to me that shakespeare poem is clearly has whatever would have been considered a homosexuality undertone yeah homosexual yeah. undertone at, at its time but I, and i guess the idea of a queer subtext is quite interesting mm. that like it feels that it, you know, I think if you could you could talk about this in quite a heterosexist way and say, oh yeah, it's a bit naughty, but <laughs> they were all straight. You know, there was no funny business at that time. <laughs> but what 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 Scott's taken from that, which I think is is, you know, what we might know already, but I think it's condensed that into a really great form. What he's taken from that queer subtext subtext is something really provoking and really mm. validating um, in terms of. The, the language in terms of the acts and in yeah. terms of the, the structure of poetry itself. Yeah. Um, and all those things are going together. You know, it's not like, okay, I'm taking on these sonnet forms, but I'm doing something really straight with it. It's, I've, I've, I've benefited from all these different aspects of the, of the Renaissance text and their subtext. Yeah. And I'm going to run with it. And I think that maybe that's what I like about reading poets talking about renaissance poetry modern poets talking about renaissance mm. poetry is that they've got that little bit of freedom to kind of say i'm going to run with this this is what matters to me um you know i'm not here to make historical arguments but this is what matters and in some ways that's more authentic and useful to me yeah and than loads and loads of Books. There are loads of great books on, on Shakespeare's sonnets that I do love, but um, there's something yeah. particularly useful about, about this kind of writing. And I think it's that sort of a slightly dry academic academia that, that will, you know, it might say, well, yes, of course, there's a homosexual undertone in these, these sonnets and blah, blah, blah. Whereas it, it's, I think it's far more rewarding to see someone who is a poet themselves discussing these topics that are, and uh, as I said to you at the time, is, you know, brought out far more than I'd ever read into these sorts of yeah. things and it and makes them um you know a, a 400 year old poem as rich and as contemporary as it's possible to be and still relevant it's yeah genuinely fascinating okay well as a as a dry academic let's <laughs> as a dry academic myself let's uh, wrap this up because I think we've had a really good chat um and you know, maybe just one thing to look forward to. You know, I feel like there is this 
bigger bigger question, a bigger tradition of, 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 of gay and queer poets talking about Renaissance poetry, including Shakespeare. Um, a, a, a really recent poet like that would be Mary Jean Chan, who we didn't get a chance to talk to about that today. But uh, figures like Robert Duncan, Tom Gunn, Robert Halpern, um, they've all got some rooting in, in early modern poetry. So they mm. might be interesting to explore at a later time. But uh, I think that's all for today. Thank you very much, everyone, for listening. Thank you very much, Leo, for talking to me about poetry. Thank you. It's been fun. Okay. Uh, see you later, everyone. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.